Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances, the podcast where we take you down the rabbit hole into the fascinating world of the strange, the paranormal, and the unknown. I'm Morgan Knutson. And I am Mike Brown. It's time to dim the lights and settle in. Come along with us on this week's adventure. It's a real adventure, too. <laughs> it is a real adventure, especially this one. This one's sort of an interesting adventure into what the heck is going on. <laughs> yeah. So in July of this year, there were some hearings in the United States Congress where people came forward and have been making claims that not only are there such a thing as UFOs, but also perhaps there are aliens. Yeah. And alien technology that the United States has, which is wholly bonkers. Yeah, and I think the reason why this got so much attention was the people who were coming forward with the claims. Because, of course, we hear that all the time. You know, people coming forward with claims that there are aliens and I saw a UFO. Well, what makes this a bit different? Well, mm -hmm. really, it was the, the people who were testifying to Congress, which was Ryan Graves, who was the executive director of Americans for Safe Aerospace, David Grush, former National Reconnaissance Office representative on the Defense Department's Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, which is a mouthful, and then retired Navy Commander David Fravor, who are who was sworn in during House Oversight Committee hearings on UAPs, identified unidentified anomalous phenomenon, and this was all on July 26, 2023, on Capitol Hill in Washington. Yeah, which is crazy. Like, okay, so actual governmental. This is a Congress House Committee that is set up to look into what is going on, whether or not UAPs, which is, you know, unidentified aerial phenomenon, because they don't call them UFOs anymore, apparently. But are these things real? It's yeah. so, so fascinating. I mean, a lot of what we see in the congressional hearings uh, with the two former military pilots on either side of David Grush telling their stories about seeing these things physically seeing these things. These are two gentlemen who have actually witnessed these things, and they were uh, part of the group that recorded these things while it was happening. So we've all seen that grainy tic-tac video of this thing moving super quickly that they can't identify, and they still, to this day, have not been able to identify what exactly that was. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and you know, I think these videos have been everywhere, and I think everybody at some point has seen them and has formed some sort of opinion on them. I think what makes this particular case interesting and what I'm excited to delve into here is the fact that you've got a congressional hearing 
You've got professionals sitting at a table who are doing a lot of tech speak. And I think this is one of those situations where sometimes when we see that as a society, we're listening to these these experts and our brain and our critical thinking kind of turns itself off because we see these experts and we think, well, then this is it. This this must be it because these guys must know what they're talking about or what they're doing. And I I think this is going to be such a great conversation with the wonderful Dean Bertram uh, into what exactly we're looking at so that everybody and I know like, like myself can really get a good bead on how to critically think through situations like this when we're hearing these extraordinary claims. Right. And this is exactly what we're trying to do with our show here is we have said it a few times. We don't want to give people answers. We're more interested in asking the right questions. Exactly. And the questions can't stop just because there's somebody talking really technical at us. You know, and I think that's such a it, it it's such an important lesson for for everybody. I know I have to remind myself of this as well. And I'm really hoping that when we dig into this conversation that we're going to walk away with some brand new information. This is a show not about whether or not aliens are real. This is about something bigger than that. How can we look at these situations and start to critically think through them? Well, let's look. Let's let's have our chat with Dean. I'm excited. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. This is such an interesting topic. As we know, over the last number of, of months here, this has kind of been in the news pretty heavily. And now that things are kind of in a bit of a lull, maybe winding down a little bit since the initial shock of this this UAP disclosure that's been been slowly going on. Um, I think this is a really great time, Mike, for us to have this conversation. And Dean, we are really glad that you're here. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, oh, there's so much to talk about with this. I mean, Mike and I, we've had so many conversations about this. Yeah. Going back and forth and and I know, every, everything right now is up for speculation, I think. Um, but for the people who are kind of just catching this out of the their peripheral senses, um, what exactly are the hearings so that the people understand what's going on here? Well, basically, there was a whistleblower who came forward called David Grush. And he, I think it's significant to mention that he actually helped, in his own words, write, I think, the, the language of the whistleblower legislation that let him come forward. And I think he, he was involved with a number of people on both sides of the political aisle putting that legislation together, but it's ironic or perhaps not ironic that the man who comes forward is the man who co-wrote the legislation, the language which allowed him to come forward. Mm. So I, th I think that's probably an interesting starting point. But as far as so what the hearings are about, then it basically puts Grush on the type of congressional record of talking about 
the, the things which have been told to him, because he'll be the first to say that he hasn't actually seen any crash sources or seen any biologics, as he calls them. Or, right. But he's had people who were high up within, I suppose, military intelligence and the military come to him with these kind of reports. And so according to Grush, when he started to come forward with this, he underwent various harassment and the like. And I think the main purpose of the congressional hearings was to get Grush's statement into the congressional hearings. So it wasn't just something he talked about in a News Nation interview or something that he'd been interviewed for, for the debrief, for example, which is where the story originally broke. Right. And is this started as a News Nation interview? This this was kind of when I think it hit the public's attention was, was during this particular year interview. And and. What exactly was he trying to trying to claim at that point? Well, there's a there's a you're right. There's much more controversial material, I think, in the News Nation article than in or the News Nation you know episode than there was in the actual debrief article because the debrief article didn't talk about his his mentioning that they'd actually assess. Well, he doesn't use the term you know dead ETs. He's very careful not to say extraterrestrial, but the fact that they had biological samples, I guess, from whatever was involved with these crashes. So in the News Nation one, he talks about a multi... It's kind of a, it's a complicated conspiracy that he talks about because he doesn't talk about there being one department, which is like we'd imagine Project Blue Book being doing a cover-up, or there isn't just one department like the people who run Area 51. Right. He suggested that both in the US and around the world, people have been recovering... Mm-hmm crashed vehicles from, you know, non-human origins or whatever his terminology is, and that there was this type of, I suppose, almost arms race to capture these things. But the way it was shielded within, from prying eyes, is that it was kind of compartmentalized. So people in all different aspects of, I suppose, military intelligence and military departments had certain parts of the puzzle. And there was it was very much specific insiders knew what was happening, very specific people, but there'd be lots of people perhaps read in to only one aspect of the program and they wouldn't have a full picture. But from various people within these programs, he starts to hear about, you know, things that there are crash sources or there's crashed non-human vehicles or whatever his terminology is, that there are recovered biologics, that there are back engineering or reverse engineering programs, the type of stuff which Bob Lazar had been coming forward to talk about since, you know, the 1980s. So it seemed to tick a lot of the boxes that had been popular talking points in ufology for a very long time. And I think that's one of the reasons regardless of the validity or not of these stories. One of the reasons this was so eagerly accepted or eagerly, you know, looked at by so many people in the UFO community is it was kind of, in a way, confirmation of things that they'd thought about and believed for a very long time anyway. This David Grush guy, his background is quite extensive. And I think that's what makes him important. Whether or not what he's telling us is the truth is another matter entirely. But can you talk a little bit about this guy's background? Because I I think that would sort of paint a picture about why this um, person being in front of Congress is important. Well, Grush had been, I mean, he has a background where he'd been in the military and he'd been, you know, in in intelligence departments looking at, I mean, these kind of things. And he'd certainly been in a position where people were coming to him as a type of, um, 
what was his role? It was, um, what's the actual title? I've forgotten the title of his position now. He was the representative of the National Reconnaissance Office for the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. <laughs> right, right. So he's, he's, he's the guy looking into these things for the government at one point. That's correct. And of course, since then, there's been claims by, for example, the head of Arrow, which is another department of the government, which looks at, which was kind of set up to look at um, by the U.S. Secretary of Defense to investigate UFOs, essentially the All Domain Anomaly uh, Resolution Office. The head of that, who's ex-CIA or maybe still, I guess you're always CIA when we want CIA. They say what's his name, Doctor Sean Kirkpatrick, came forward after Grush's recent comments and saying that, or after the after the congressional hearing, saying that he felt that. Um, that Grush was doing a disservice to people within the Arrow program who seemed to, who he said were genuinely investigating the UAP phenomenon anyway, and that despite claims that Grush had made to be speaking with Arrow, according to Kirkpatrick, those conversations had been refused by Grush. So you're right. There seems to be there seems to be this kind of. Um, there seems to be a history that Grush was certainly placed within sensitive departments, but there also seems to already be some contention mm -hmm. regarding what his involvement was with who you would think would be the people investigating, you know? So it's, it's strange, and that's often the problem with a lot of these type of stories is you start to get this kind of conflict of different stories coming forward, and it becomes... And I, again, you're, you're absolutely correct. It's very clear that Grush was positioned where he would probably you know, have a sense of these things and have people coming to him and be investigating as well. But it seems very strange the way the whole thing rolled out, to be honest. And it certainly seems strange Kirkpatrick's you know, response, although perhaps that would be expected you know, from the, the head of Arrow. I agree with you. I, I think like for me, just immediately when this, this case kind of came forward, there was, there was a number of red flags that kind of stuck out to me. And, and as much as I know the, the, the UFO community was really really excited. And I mean, it's, it is really exciting. It's, it's very interesting that this is, is coming forward. Just as a, as a researcher myself who've been, who has interviewed people and, and studied a lot of psychics and things like that, that have come forward with various stories and, and whatever, there was, there was some red flags that we'll talk about a bit later, but that, that kind of stuck out to me that, that I was, I was, I was curious about. I, I, there's red flags for me as well. And there's many of them, I think. Mm -hmm. One of the big red flags is the people around him and the fact that he was in this position. It seems to me, it seems like it has to. There has to be a level of control to it. It's interesting that the legal firm that he went to to represent him, the uh, what's it names are uh, the Compass Rose Legal Group, I think it's called. That the the partner that essentially took his case was Charles McCulloch the third, and McCulloch the third. Prior to being on in, within that firm, used to actually be the intelligence community inspector general. So he's somebody who's highly placed in intelligence circles. That law firm kind of walked back a little bit after the story, implying that they weren't really representing Grush anymore. But it's significant to note that at the congressional hearings, where you would normally have your lawyer, the chair immediately behind you, which I believe is held for your for that witness's guest or that witness's legal counsel, McCulloch was sitting in that chair. And it's interesting, further, I mean, probably most people in the UFO community recognize that Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp were sitting on either 
side of McCulloch. They would have recognized who they were, which alone is very strange, incidentally, because they're probably, for a very long time now at least, um, Knapp has been the major proponent of Bob Lazar's stories. He was the first reporter who broke that story in the late 80s. And certainly Jeremy Corbell was front and center of repopularization, repopularizing the Bob Lazar story. And now we have Grush essentially, you know, saying all of that is true, right? What also is interesting, we have to remember that a lot of this is done for optics, I think. So when, when you're watching as perhaps just your average viewer at home or, you know, somebody interested in UFOs, you might be just focusing on the details, but the optics in these things are very important. So we've already mentioned those three people behind Grush and the other two witnesses. And we'll mention the other two witnesses in a minute. But the other person immediately behind, or actually immediately behind and to the left of, of uh, where George Knapp was sitting, I believe. I don't have an image in front of me now. But that was James Clapper. And if you want to talk about the deep state, James Clapper is, <laughs> well, I mean, he was the director of national intelligence under Obama, and it's perhaps as deep statey as you can almost get. So why is Clapper there, other than the fact that, and mind you, McCulloch used to immediately answer to him when they were both employed um, by national intelligence. So the head of national intelligence, one of his main guys is representing Grush, who used to be anyway, head of national, or at least a director of national intelligence. And now they're at the hearing. Now, your average American viewer mightn't have noticed that. But I tell you what, the Chinese and the Russians and anybody else tuning in would have noticed that. Their intelligence instantly would have said, what on earth's going on here? And then look at the optics in the front. So you have Grush in the front and center, who I think people have criticized for some of the language he uses, like, you know, non-human biologics or whatever the devil that means. That could be anything. That could be a monkey or a dog they recover from, you know, a crashed, a crash, a crash site. But so some of the language is quite um, interesting. The fact that a lot of what he was saying, he obviously couldn't reveal because it was it, w- it would be counter to certain security oaths he'd undertaken. He kept saying, oh, I can tell you about that in a, you know, a private skiff or whatever it's called. But the either side of him, of course, are probably two of the most prominent military UFO witnesses of the last couple of decades, the people who are front and center of the whole Tic Tac story and going forward. So it's interesting that you have this, I suppose, individual in the middle who we might already, some of us are doubting, but you put to his left, you put pilot Ryan Graves, who's, who's, who runs his own organization now, which is all about, you know, kind of, in a way, UFO disclosure, but, you know, protecting pilots and the like. And on the other side of Grush, you have our Navy commander, David Fravor, who is the person who's gun camera captured the, the, the Tic Tac video, which has kind of re-energized UFO belief. So you've got people on either side who are almost witnesses that nobody seems to doubt at all in the UFO community. You have somebody in the middle who some of us are already starting to question. And behind him, you have a very interesting lineup of people who are some of them recognizable by the, some, by the UFO community, some of them perhaps not. But every single one of those people were put there for a reason. This isn't accidental, you know. You don't walk into a congressional hearing like this and just take a chair. Everybody knows where they're being placed. So I, I think one, one thing we can do as researchers or investigators or just interested members of the public is not just to look at what was said, but to look at what was shown us and why were those people chosen to be there? Oh, I couldn't agree more. And what I you brought up the other two uh, witnesses, which I think is is also really important because the one thing that I really noticed 
about Graves and Fravor was the fact that they seemed very, very direct. Like they were answering in a very concise, clear manner that every time they were asked a question, bam, you know, they had the answer. Uh, You know, they weren't fidgeting at their desk, which is something I'm always looking for when I'm talking to witnesses. Um, You know, they they were, as I say, clear in their in what they were saying. Um, You know, here's what it was. Here's what I saw. They weren't saying, you know, here's what somebody else saw. It was, you know, just clear, concise reporting. And what I what I noticed with with Grush is that his dynamic in answering the questions was very different. And it's something that I'm I, often you see in the paranormal community because you get some some like people coming forward with various stories. And what I found with Grush, which was interesting, was that he was so much more dramatic and animated than the other two on the other sides. It was almost like there was a bit of uh, almost dramatization to the way he was answering questions. Um, you know, the the con- a Congress member would ask two questions and he'd give one general answer, but not actually address either directly. And to me, he he really stood out among the other two because the other two just felt very... Uh, just, just very sincere to me, and I was, I, I found myself listening to them more than I was listening to Grush. I agree with you. I remember watching it at the time and thinking Grush almost seemed like he was the cat who ate the canary or something, you know. But proud of the fact that it sounds very weird, but he seemed, he seemed like it was his. Maybe that's the wrong term. He seemed like it was his day in the sun. Do you know what I mean? You you almost felt like he was enjoying the hearing. He seemed, there was something about him which was a weird energy. You're right, the other two witnesses seem to be very straight up in their answering. I think that's fascinating that you bring a background in that type of research and witness witness questioning as well to it, Morgan, because that's a very good point. I have some really strong uh, interest in uh, what I think is the motivation for this coming forward at this time. It's It's a really... It's really interesting that at this particular time in United States history, uh, that this is the thing that is coming out right now at this moment, because there's something else that's very important that is uh, dominating the news cycle right now. What is that? That is uh, the fact that a former U.S. president has been indicted four times four times, which, you know, once has never been heard of. The person who is sort of leading the charge on this congressional hearings on on these is a man named Tim Burchett, who's a Republican. So what do Republicans have to gain by uh, bringing out the fact there may be aliens uh, that we are aware of, that we're hiding somewhere, all of that kind of stuff? What does what do Republicans have to gain about uh, by that right now? It's a distraction. It's a psyop. This guy is uh, uh, he's an intelligence officer. He um, and like you say, it's very well orchestrated. Knapp and Corbell on either side of this guy's lawyer, also on either side of him, are two very credible individuals to prop up his claims. This guy has also. Grush, as I've dug in, he's also been really touted by people like Tucker Carlson, who is a well-known Trumper, and other news folk who are 
rah rah says Pumba Trump 2024. I, <laughs> and the, you know, you look at Grush's interview on News Nation. He said a lot of things on News Nation that he did not say when he was under oath. He would refer to his uh, interview. He would, as Morgan said, give very general information, but he didn't say anything that would have gotten him into... Yeah, there was no content that would have, if he's proven to be, have lied about anything that he said in front of Congress, it's, there was nothing that would have gotten him into trouble. He said, yes, there were biologics. You know, like, I've seen people hurt by both the government and the, you know, so, so has everybody. So has everybody. He's not saying anything at all, really. It's really, really fantastic and interesting that um, this information is all coming out at exactly the same time as this other big thing that's going on to perhaps distract people's attention away from what the real story is. That's just me. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a crazy one. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm I'm certainly sympathetic to that. Although I'm not sure if I'm as comfortable to put it into a type of a partisan cover-up. One of the reasons being that two of the heaviest hitters in the intelligence community under Obama, including Clapper, who incidentally ran the Russia collusion story, which was leaked to CNN, in the early days of. Trump's uh, presidency, or he was, in fact, he was only president-elect. It was James Clapper and Comey who ran that story, and they had actually uh, Jake Tapper standing by with the story. So as soon as Comey had briefed Trump, they gave CNN the go-ahead to push the story, and Clapper had actually instigated that. So in a way, both in a way, you could argue that Clapper might be a democratic operative almost. He certainly was an appointee of Obama and so is Grush's lawyer. Now, having said all that, I don't want to take anything away from your theory because I'm suspicious of all sides of politics and I'm suspicious of the entire system. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if this is some distraction or, again, we we can be very inward looking when we think that the government is, you know, playing partisan politics and it has something to do with us, the American people. And maybe it does. But I think Greg Bishop's talked about in the past, who's one of my favorite people in this UFO space. Any of your listeners who haven't read Project Beta should read that book by Greg Bishop. It's about the Paul Benowitz affair and might be the most important book in the UFO space ever written. And if they don't feel like reading it, they should just watch the film documentary Mirage Men, which is essentially based on Bishop's work. But Bishop has pointed out that some of these things might be done for the benefit of non-American actors. Again, it might be because they want to send a message that we don't even understand what that messaging is to the Chinese. Or sometimes sometimes spin is different than what any of us can imagine it's for. And the Paul Benowitz affair is a classic example about that. It's probably going a little a little away from topic, so I won't harp on it. But you can try to work out why Paul Benowitz was told there was essentially, you know, an alien invasion going on or encouraged to believe that when he reported to Kirtland Air Force Base in the late 1970s that he thought he was picking up extraterrestrial transmissions and he'd really picked up on something the government were doing. So they sent AFOSI agents headed by Richard Doty to start this massive disinfo campaign against Benowitz and to make him think that his initial alien belief system was correct. And so they propped up the beliefs more and more and more. And ultimately, that probably 
led to what Jerome Clark, I think he called it dark side hypothesis. Let's just call it X-Files belief. So all these ideas about underground bases and, you know, secret military dealings with ETs and the MJ-12 documents and all of this stuff comes out of the people involved with the Paul Benowitz affair. So was that just, maybe that wasn't just to send Benowitz, you know, in the wrong direction. Maybe that was to interject a narrative into the UFO community that we're still believing today. So I, I, I feel you, I, I tend to think you're onto something, but I, I'm very reluctant to try to work out what the purpose of the disinfo or maybe the psyop or whatever it is, or the, the final leaking of this information. I mean, I shouldn't be biased. I don't think we're being told the truth, but maybe Grush is telling the truth. And if he is, why are they deciding to let this go now? Because by Grush's own admission, when he's on the stand, he's implying that the, there's, it was weird testimony to remember he was talking about him and his wife had seen horrible things or something. I'm thinking, are you, are you Mulder and Scully? How are you seeing you know, horror? Are you running around at night? You know, like it's, it's just a weird concept, but my point is, even if he is telling the truth, why would the government let him tell the truth? Now, again, this was all very carefully engineered. He wrote the legislation that let him come forward. So why now would they be telling us this anyway? There's some, And I, I, I'm not prepared to say any of the reasons because I honestly don't know. But all I know is it does smell like it's some type of, a, you know, some type of an intentional leak or, in, or disinfo or very controlled anyway, whatever the devil it is. And I think that might go to people on both sides of the political fence who are who are typical political insights. And incidentally, just quickly before I move on, I think it's important, you mentioned Burchett before as well. What I found fascinating about him is he admits he was reading like Donald Kehoe when he was a kid and he was a strong believer. So you've got a man, you've got a man field, and you know, you've got a man fielding this kind of hearing and he's essentially somebody who is stepped in all of this UFO law from when he was a kid. He said when he was a teen, he thought it was the most important issue in the world. I'm not so sure if he doesn't still think it's not the most important issue in the world. So we tend to think people in government come at things without a belief system, but the history of the world shows us that isn't true. So you can have people sitting up there who are true believers leading, you know, leading the direction that this goes. And it doesn't mean any of it's true. It just means somebody read a Kehoe book when he was in his teens and all of a sudden thought the US government were covering up the visitation of extraterrestrials. And now he's got somebody on the stand who's going to prove it for him. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. And, you know, it, you brought up so many interesting points. And, and just to, to sort of counter slightly the, the, the Republican side as well is that is that the Democrats have got a lot of stuff going on in their end too. So I, I you know right now there's a lot of there's a lot of dissension going on on that side of the field as well. So I think you could kind of put, you know if you wanted to take that angle I think you could easily make a case for both having reasons at this sure. point to yeah. Yeah. to really mm -hmm. to need that distraction like but his you know, laptop though. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I think what's what's interesting though is that you know despite all of the the what what might be going on is you know when we look back at at the the testimony itself what what I find really interesting and Dean you kind of touched on this a little bit was the fact that there are not only are biases but there are also biases when you're interviewing or watching uh, which is essentially a show on TV and what often trips people up and what I noticed really tripped some of the Congress people up in this was that you had people with a lot of of technical background with a lot of technical speech and you had questioners that I wasn't sure understood the answers and this I see all the time even in in 
paranormal shows when people bring out the flashy gadgets and they say, oh my God, you know, I have a ghost meter and I'm seeing these lights go off and the audience goes, oh my God, there's a, you know, these people must know what they're doing because there's a ghost meter and the lights are going off. And what I noticed in this particular testimony and I think, and it happened with, and I can't remember who it was, Moskowitz. It happened with, with Mr. Moskowitz when he was asking questions about how the physics of planes work and how sound is affected when you're in a plane and and whatnot. And this this whole line of questioning kind of ends up blowing up in his face because he really he doesn't really know what he's asking and yeah, right. <laughs> he doesn't know. And it sounds super technical. And thankfully you had, you know, Farver and Graves on either side that were, you know, kind enough to kind of explain some of this stuff out. Um and then the one congressman, uh Burleson, he ends up sort of calling him on some of this dialogue as well, this sort of obfuscation that seems to be going on. But I think I think that's another point is that, you know, we tend to see people when they come forward with a story like this and they've got this this gigantic background that it's like, well, they must be unbiased. And it's like, well, hold on. They they half of these people asking the questions might not know either. Um, and I think that's something to also really take into consideration that just because somebody's checking all the boxes doesn't necessarily mean they A, know what they're talking about or B, just haven't read the same things we have. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And speaking of Burlinson, Eric Burlinson, who's actually a Republican from Missouri, which kind of makes sense because it's the yeah. show me state, right? And his questions were really good. Yeah, he was the MVP. And I said after when we did this, I think on Mysterious Library after the hearing, he was the MVP for me. He was asking the exact same kind of questions, which I always think like he's taught now, Grush isn't talking about one crash at Roswell. He's talking about multiple crashes around the world that everybody's recovering. And Burlinson's like, is there some issue of their competency? Like they can come here, but they're crashing all around the planet. And of course, Grush has kind of pushed it aside. Well, we have automobile crashes and plane crashes as well, you know, or whatever he says. It was a, quite a weak response. But he, another really fascinating question, which I think might be getting closer to the truth on a lot of this is could one agency recover another agency's program so it looks foreign or alien to them and not understand what they've recovered and i think if you look at the history of a lot of this stuff even if you go back to roswell there's always been this idea floated that somehow somehow um, jesse marcel would have known for sure if he because he was in air force you know intelligence officer that he would have known this material wasn't america's but by the time this is discovered We've already got Operation Paperclip boys flying all kinds of weird test, you know, vehicles and experimenting with weird stuff that they bought over from Nazi Germany. So the idea that somebody who's just a lieutenant on, you know, one Army Air Force base is going to know what's happening over at, you know, White Sands or wherever they devil they were experimenting behind closed doors. It, I mean, it, it it's just something we've always accepted. I think when any, and this is something I think that has been used for spin and still is very cleverly by military intelligence or by ever who wants to change the narrative. We see the same thing when those, as you said, I think, Morgan, they seem very sincere. The witnesses, um, Graves and Fravor, they, when the American public's here, public here, a Navy pilot going, well, it wasn't one of ours. 
you tend to believe them, but that Navy pilot is briefed on what he's flying, what the Russians are going to be flying, what the Chinese are going to be flying, but he's not briefed on what skunk works are testing. Do you know what I mean? He's not briefed on what the black budget programs, which are buried, you know, so far out of sight aren't funny. He has no idea. And we know in the past, people like, um, what was his name? Was it Ben Rich who used to run skunk works? Said it a number of times. We've got technology that could send ET home. If you've seen it on Star Wars or Star Trek, we've got it or we could have it or we're not even bothering doing it because we know we can and who cares. So we know that these we know that a lot of this technology is beyond what your average Navy pilot is going to be briefed on anyway, or what somebody like Marcel would have been briefed on back in 1947 in Roswell. But I think it's very convenient to use these people as, because most people in America trust, particularly just military servicemen, they mightn't so much trust intelligence or something, but if you roll out a Navy pilot, most Americans are going to salute the flag, rightfully so, and go, thank you for your service and, and trust what's told to them. But that makes these people fantastic witnesses to put forward because you don't question them. And so you can have this narrative that it can't be ours flying around. And you notice whenever these guys roll out, that's what they always say. They always say, well, it's not ours. And they're not just doing interviews without permission. You can bet your bottom dollar that they've been wound up and let go, even if they're genuine and sincere, right? They know what they're going to say when they get in front of Tucker Carlson or CNN or whoever they're talking to. They know the type of responses that they're allowed to say and not allowed to say. And so they say, yeah, well, it's nothing we've ever seen. And so the American public go, it must be extraterrestrial. You brought up a really good point, too, about what's classified and what's not classified. Because back when you had mentioned about the, it, that Grush had said, you know, he maybe has seen these biologics, and um, but he said, no, he hasn't witnessed anything. Uh, what's interesting in the way he phrases this is that, and, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, is that there's not a classification on something that you haven't seen. Like if I turn around and say, or, you know, oh, well, you know, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen alien bodies. I'm not going to get in trouble for that because I didn't know that that was classified. I haven't seen alien bodies. You know, I don't work for the government. I haven't seen that. And so he hasn't violated anything if he didn't know that it was classified. And you won't violate a security clearance because of that. If you do and you lie, then you're in trouble. And what I noticed about a lot of his speech is that he avoids saying no until the alien bodies question comes up. And I thought that was really interesting where he's kind of dancing around one topic, but then not another. Um, so, and I'm not entirely sure what exactly this means per se, but I just, I've, I noticed that that seemed to be a sort of a common thing and it didn't really hit until that specific topic came up, which is is kind of interesting. And so after that, he did promise, which surprised me, and I'm guessing the witness list is probably not going to be, I don't know what it's going to be or if they even got one, but a witness list is promised by Grush. People that have seen this stuff and whatnot. Dean, what do you make of this witness list and do you think one was given to Congress? That's a very good question. I, I don't know whether one's being given to Congress or not. My my suspicion at the moment, and again, I don't know why, is ever since 2017 and that New York Times story, which broke all of this kind of stuff wide open and made, made it somehow somehow actually decent enough or not as not as jokey enough for the so the press could actually pay attention to it and nobody had really paid attention seriously 
to the UFO phenomenon since the Condon Committee report closed its case back in 1969 and said the US government don't need to look into this, there's nothing serious there. So from about 69 up until almost 2017, none of this was taken seriously. Certainly it wasn't front stories on whether it's, you know, CNN or Tucker or whoever the devil's covering it and it's front pages of the New York Times and it's, you know, spoken about and, congr- and Congress are having hearings again and yada, 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 yada. So my suspicion is that there might be people who maybe there is a list, maybe there are people on that list. But if if they're winding up some story now for whatever reason to make people think that there has been an ongoing program of recovering. And incidentally, it's really worth noting that Grush is always very purposeful in saying that he doesn't like to use extraterrestrial. He likes to use like non-human intelligence or whatever term he uses. And it's it's interesting to me that, and this is something I think some people have missed because everybody's so eager for the ET interpretation. There seems to be some push as well to get people perhaps ready to accept the idea that whatever these things are, they're not ET. Because we've seen... We've seen everybody from Tom, Tom DeLong to Leslie Keen to Hal Putoff to David Grush, all these people who are kind of front and center of the disclosure movement, all coming out and saying, there's something there, it's not us, but it's not extraterrestrial. So I'm not sure, and it, it, that has almost been a narrative which I think, not everybody, but a lot of people aren't paying a whole lot of attention to. It, there seems to be a change in the insider disclosure narrative that these things might be, I think Grush was talking about interdimensional or coming down from another layer or something, remember? And Leslie Keane certainly said similar things. DeLong's been saying similar things for years. And according to Tom DeLong will still claim all of this disclosure was because of a punk rock kid, him, you know, banging on the doors of power. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Angels and Airwaves. I love Tom DeLong's music. And I think he's probably a heck of a fun guy to hang out with. But if he actually believes disclosure is because of him, I think he's been used as a front man and he might be very sincere, but if he thinks this whole thing is because of him and to the To The Stars Academy. And it's interesting though too, isn't it? Like To The Stars Academy was padded with intelligence types. The same way NICAP was was padded with ex-military intelligence types. And it's the only times we've been told the truth, I think, the only time perhaps we've really been told the truth, and maybe this wasn't even the truth, was back in the MUFON Symposium in 1989, when William Moore, who was an asset to Richard Doty, Moore said it, Doty said it, came forward and said, and William Moore, don't forget, is the guy who writes the very first Roswell book. William Moore is the guy who breaks the MJ-12 documents with his producer friend, Jamie Shandera. So he's a serious player in 1980s ufology, perhaps the most significant UFO investigator, reporter, writer of 1980s ufology. We wouldn't believe a lot of the things we believe if it hadn't been for William Moore. William Moore comes forward at the MUFON Symposium in 1989 and says, you know, I'm an AFOSI asset. I've been spying on you guys and giving information back to the AFOSI. They've been giving me some information. We've been feeding disinformation. And the UFO community lose their minds. Like when he does this, there's people there screaming, get a fire hose and blast this SOB off the stage. And people are crying and screaming. But the UFO community doesn't do what it should have done. Instead, it, it, sure, it gets angry with Doty, it gets angry with William Moore, and those people are still considered the devil by many in the ETH camp. But they don't take back their belief system. They don't go, well, if Moore was lying to us, and he's the guy who wrote the first Roswell book, which had been forgotten, by the way, since 1947, 
which it's it's totally history has been rewritten. Like even the even some of the Congress people were rewriting history. There was one Congresswoman, I forget her name, saying she was reading a report, obviously written for her by staffers, saying the UF the U.S. public have been fascinated and concerned about UFOs since the Roswell cover up in 1947. Nobody talked about that cover up until the 1980s, until William Moore did his book. But my point is that the fact that all these things that Moore introduced, MJ-12, Roswell, he was part of the Dulce underground base story. He was part of all of these things which were fed to Benowitz. This man comes forward and says, I'm an AFOSI asset. Everybody gets mad at him, but nobody goes, we better stop believing in MJ-12. And maybe we need to relook at Roswell. And maybe we need to think all of these things. They just keep the belief system and they shoot the messenger, which is very strange. That's a really, really good point. And, you know, and it brings... The big question, I think, which is, you know, what these hearings were supposed to be about, which was advocating for some sort of systematic inventory of all of these encounters that they they want to release. And Mike, you had found the actual was it, was it a bill that they've put through or a suggestion or something like that, where um, they they want to actually put something like this into law. Both parties signed to it as well. Both Democrats and Republicans were like, oh, yeah, 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 we want this. We want this. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And I, okay, Mike, what paper was that? Was I, that the? I don't even know what you're I'm gonna talking look it, about. I'm I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look it up because you sent it to me uh, in a document. Hang on. And I might have but, missed that. What I what I sent. <laughs> no, no, it was it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna find it here. Just give me a sec. Um, but I thought it was it, it was really really interesting that like you know here you've got all of a sudden got everybody kind of rallying. Um, it, it, you know, around this concept, because I think everybody does want this. We we all want more transparency yeah. from our leader. For sure. I don't care what side you're on. You know, both sides have their skeletons in their closet, and I think I think at the end of the day, that's that's what people are 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 really looking for is is some sort of um, some sort of transparency. But is do you, Dean? Do you see? Do you even think this is that's possible? And like, if you do, what do you think it would look like? And I'm gonna gonna dig up that paper as you're talking. I don't think there's going to be any transparency. And I think that probably should be what the real takeaway should have been from the most recent congressional hearing on this is that we are all kept in the dark. It isn't that there might be a UFO program or a crash retrieval program. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there is. I don't think so. But it's the fact that billions of dollars just sink into this black hole of defense force spending. And we live now in such a situation which we have such little oversight and such little trust in these agencies that so many of us can imagine that there's a, a, a back-engineered saucer in Area 51 and bodies of little grey men, you know, stacked on shelves in Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Because the fact that all of these once public spaces or near public spaces have been completely, and when I say spaces, I don't just mean the physical locations. I mean the entire meta- metaphorical space of, of wings of the government. They're so closed down now. I mean, in the 19th century, you could still wander into the White House and walk around. You know what I mean? We, now, obviously, that would be a bad idea <laughs> to have the doors open these days. But my point is, what once was American democracy is no longer what American democracy is. And so much of it takes place in behind doors and so much of the spending just disappears that it's possible for people to believe this stuff that wasn't your question but to get to 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 answer your question running from that i think if anything this narrative 
could be used and spun, and I don't think this is the purpose, but I could imagine it. I can, I can certainly gameplay or warplay the idea now. This narrative could be used to explain why black budgets have been necessary since 1947, since the National Security Act was signed. You can say, well, we had to fight these things from another dimension, and so we've been spending all this money and doing all of these things. I don't think we're ever going to get that kind of disclosure. But in a way, just by suggesting that there's this interdimensional or extraterrestrial threat, it almost excuses the secrecy. It almost excuses the black budget spending. And it's certainly for people who perhaps don't take the UFO narrative as seriously as some people do. It trivializes it all. Like if you're only concerned with the black budget spending and secret military programs and the contra-democratic nature of all of this is that we need to know if they've really got aliens in Area 51, then you're missing the bigger point. You're missing the bigger point of this incredible shift of American democracy from 1947, ironically, which is when Roswell meant to happen, post-World War II and the NS and National Security Act signed and you start to get even more alphabet soup you know, agencies created up until today, you're missing the point that there is democracy or some parts of it, the door has been slammed shut on. So whether we will we ever get transparency on the UFO thing? I don't think we ever will, because whatever it is, we win quite, it's quite obvious now, whether it's ET or interdimensional sources back engineered and hunted for around the world, or whether it's just us making advanced technology we don't want anybody to know about, or whether it's us pretending that we have it so we can trick the Soviets and Chinese into thinking we've got this incredible technology, whatever the case is, they're not going to open the doors because if they open the doors on whatever the UFO secret is or isn't, they have to open the doors on where these billions of dollars just get flushed down the toilet and disappear. And they're never going to do that. No, I, I agree. And I found, I, found, I found the document and what it was, was it was an amendment um, and to go to the Senate. And the purpose, according to the document, is to provide for the expeditious disclosure of unidentified anomalous phenomena records, to authorize appropriations for fiscal year 2024 for military activities of the Department of Defense, for military construction, or for the defense activities of the Department of Energy, to prescribe military personnel strength for such fiscal year and for other purposes. So that's interesting. Um, the amendment according to this, was intended to be proposed by Mr. Schumer, Mr. Rounds, Mr. Right. Rubio, and Mr. Gillibrand. There you go. It, there it is. It's interesting that you bring up that the word fiscal is very early on. Right? It, it just <laughs> harkens back to what uh, Dean was just talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you, you, I think if you, you kind of read between the lines with some of this, you can maybe start to piece together what's going on. And I, and I think part of the problem, too, right now is that we don't really have enough information. It's like we've got a piece of the elephant and we see nothing else other than, you know, the corner of the ear of the elephant. And there's so many layers to this and so many pieces and stuff probably has been like, Dean, you, like you had said, I mean, Grush had literally written <laughs> this disclosure le legislation. And so, I mean, so who knows how long this has actually been in the works for. Um, but it's, oh, it's, it's so fascinating. And, uh, Dean, we're so glad that you could come and shed some light on some of this for for everybody. And I mean, I've I've learned more than I than I had before. And Mike, I'm sure you have too. So, Dean, thank you so much for for coming on today. Oh, it was a great joy. Thank you for having me on the show. It was lovely to talk to both of you, Morgan and Mike. Mike, it was a a lot of fun. Great stuff. All righty. Whoa. Uh, what a fascinating talk with Dean. I mean. 
I'm still sort of blown away by that conversation. And we had that some time ago. So while we're, we're ready to release a show on what happened in the United States, however, in Mexico more recently, there are some really interesting revelations by their congressional hearings, which, you know, it, my brain is, is just fried. I mean, they, they're making claims that there's bodies that have been recovered they are showing pictures of x-rays and uh, PET scans, and they look like grays. Like, they look like what I have grown up thinking a gray looks like. However, they're weirdly desiccated, and like, like you said, Morgan, they look like they're made of paper mache, which is odd. Yeah, they, they, look, they look a little iffy. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. They look a little iffy, but yeah, and if anybody out there has not looked up the Mexican congressional hearings like it's really quite interesting there's there's a video of them as well um mm -hmm. similar to the US's uh, congress hearing right uh and whatnot but you know I and I I don't even know where where to begin with that I mean I, I haven't in detail looked at this video which is probably going to be another show yeah. uh but I I think what we can at least take away from this conversation with Dean that I think we can apply to this new information about the Mexico Mexico incidents is that this really is about understanding that even in a, a congressional hearing, whether you're whether you come to the conclusion that yes, these were UAPs, yes, this is what happened, or not, maybe you fall on the other side of it, is that we can really start to look at these things and how stuff is a framed up for viewers and framed up for television, and it really becomes a discussion about critical thought. And when the government or TV shows are making these extraordinary claims, what is it? So I'm hoping that we can take what we've learned here from Dean and sit down and look at these Mexican videos and make some hide in our hair of what's going on. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, I don't know what's going on either. It, I just, I am sort of, I'm blown away by what I've seen. But if, if it is a hoax... If it is a hoax, it's a very elaborate hoax. Somebody yeah. has gone to great lengths to hoax people. So in these hearings, they're talking about different universities all over the world looking at these things and saying there is human DNA, and then others are saying, no, it's completely faked and all this kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. It, you know, is it going to take an alien, like in uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, is it going to take... A UFO landing on the the uh, the lawn of the White House and asking you know to to speak to Joe Biden for for people to believe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it maybe it does because I don't know. I still I'm still not convinced. You know. No. We see all this stuff, and there's a lot coming. They're talking about quote unquote disclosure is about to happen, but what is all this stuff? I don't know. Yeah, well, and and I know for for me, like from an investigator's perspective, I'm always kind of looking at at the academic side. Like I, I would like to see the you know the white papers and the results that are coming from mm -hmm. these different sources. Like we're hearing a lot of media and even officials and stuff claiming, oh, we did these tests, we did these tests. Well, I mean, you can say you've done tests till you're blue in the face, but you know, until those those papers and whatnot are become available from a reputable source. Then even as an investigator myself, I'm 
it, it's very circumstantial. So it's I, I think I think in these situations, no matter what, no matter what it is, no matter what you've got um, a, an organization or a government or anything like that claiming, is that you you really do have to wait for those resources to come out and come forward, where you can sort of delve a little bit further rather than just saying, well, okay, no, 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 these people said so, therefore. Well, no, I mean, they sh- this should be publicly available as well. So let's see what they come out with because, I mean, this could be this could be something huge or we might see nothing. I don't know. Well, if, if you look at the way things are polarized right now in the world, uh, the current president of the United States could come out and say, this is real, and half of that country wouldn't believe him. You I don't know? know if I would believe him at this point. You know, that's the that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, even because you're right. I mean, the, the the polarization is it is so so massive. But you know, at the same time, if I don't see the documented evidence behind it, I'm I'm still going to wonder where what they're doing. Um, you know, it, it's it, it really I think comes down again to okay, well, what what scientific information is available and you know is is this backed up is this you know because i'm always coming at it from the perspective of a you know parapsychology researcher and i i think at the end of the day like again not letting credentials blind us to what this what might be going on i think i think we've got to wait for the evidence and and judge it from there yeah well nobody is more excited about <laughs> the potential of aliens <laughs> <laughs> than me. I think it's cool. And I mean, I'm a, I am like an alien believer. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. Like I'm an alien believer, 100%. I just, I, I got, I got to see the evidence. Extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence. So let's, let's see what they come back with. Thank you for joining us on this otherworldly expedition, dear listeners. And remember the line between the natural and the supernatural is often a thin one. Until next time. Stay curious, friends. I'm getting on a ship and I'm out of here. (laughs) Beam me up, Scotty. Supernatural Circumstances is a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast Podcast Network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can learn more about Morgan Knudsen at EntitySeeker.ca and learn more about me, Mike Brown, and listen to my show, Dark Poutine, at DarkPoutine.com. Feel free to email the show at SupernaturalCircumstances at gmail.com. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. Better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.